Well, maybe you heard the story of the family that went out to this country diner to have a meal together. And up on the wall was a moose head. And someone had put a party hat on top of the moose head. And all during the meal, the little five-year-old girl looked forlornly at the wall. And so finally the daddy tried to explain, well, honey, some people like to go hunting. And she said, Dad, I understand all about that, but why did they have to shoot him at his birthday party? (laughs) Because we don't typically associate acts of violence with the celebration of birth. But that is the case in the record of the birth of Christ. Jesus was born into a world full of strife, of conflict, of oppression. The paranoia was so great in the age in which Jesus was born that when the current king heard that another king had been born, he gave orders to slaughter all the little babies in Bethlehem. And that's a picture you will never see on anybody's Christmas card. But that was the world in the day of Jesus. And it really hasn't changed that much, has it? Historians have tried to discover in recorded human history how many years have actually existed without war on the earth. They go back over 6,000 years and the very best guess is that less than 300 of those years there was no war on the earth that they could find out about. There has not been a single year of my life that there has not been war on earth. Somebody has commented that peace is that rare moment in history when men stop to reload. If you went to Bethlehem tonight, you wouldn't find peace on earth. You would find walls, you would find fences, you would find lots of Uh, things you would have to walk through to make sure you weren't armed. You'd find men walking up and down the streets with submachine guns around their necks and backs. Peace on earth? Stress on earth is more like it. And not just on the national scene. Did you know that The day after Thanksgiving is the busiest shopping day of the year. And the day after New Year's is the biggest day for filing of divorces of the year. And all you have to do is go to any mall or get on any major highway. And you recognize that stress on earth is more the theme than peace on earth. And so we hear this song of the angels and it sounds so intoxicating and you want to believe it. But it's really hard, isn't it? Listen again to Luke chapter 2. A very large group of angels from heaven joined the first angel, praising God and saying, Give glory to God in heaven and on earth. Let there be peace among the people who please God. You see, that song implies, and Christmas implies, that the earth is full of peace needers. That we don't need lessons on how to disturb 
the peace. We seem to be pretty good at knowing how to do that. We don't even know how to give peace a chance. Stress and strife are the norm. And yet the song of the angels implies that this is not what the world was meant for. And the ancient people of God affirmed this idea with a greeting. If you were to walk the streets in the days of Jesus, people would walk past you and they would say, Shalom. And as you left, they would say, Shalom be with you. And shalom is translated in our Bibles as peace, but it's not quite a good enough translation because shalom to the ancient people of God was more than just the absence of conflict or war. Shalom meant completeness. It meant wholeness. It meant perfection. And it expressed the hope that one day the world would finally experience the harmony For which it was created. That one day there would be physical shalom. Because what is death? Death is is when your own body goes to war against itself. Most of us are going to die someday because of a cancer or a stroke. Our our bodies are going to be at war. But they expressed the hope that one day there would be physical shalom. And you wouldn't need funeral directors anymore. And one day there would be communal shalom and neighbor would love neighbor and you wouldn't need walls and you wouldn't need barbed wire and you wouldn't need policemen. And one day there would be spiritual shalom and you wouldn't have the need for confessionals and counselors because people wouldn't be full of guilt and shame and there, there would be hearts surrendered and peace with God. The old prophets of God dared to imagine a world like this. And so you read in some of the prophets descriptions of what the world could be that almost just sound too good to be true. Like look for example at Isaiah 11. Then wolves will lie in peace with lambs and leopards will lie down to rest with goats and calves and lions and young bulls will eat together and a little child will lead them and cows and bears will eat together in peace and their young will lie down to rest together and lions will eat hay as oxen do and baby will be able to play near a cobra's hole and a child will be able to put his hand in the nest of a poisonous snake and they will not hurt or destroy each other On all my holy mountain. Because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the sea is full of water. Don't you want to live in a world like that? Is it possible that someday we won't need cemeteries? Is it conceivable that someday we won't need lawyers because we're not going to be suing each other and filing for divorces? Is it possible that someday you're not going to need hospitals or armies? The prophets thought it possible that someday the whole earth would be bathed 
in Shalom. And they thought it would be inaugurated at the coming of their Messiah. That's why the very next verse in that text we just read in Isaiah 11 says, At that time, the new king from the family of Jesse will, be, will stand as a banner for all the peoples. And I think that helps explain better now that text just two chapters earlier in Isaiah that we love to read during the Christmas season. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so you see, when those angels were singing the night Jesus was born, peace on earth, they weren't just saying, isn't this a quiet, still night? They were saying, those old prophets weren't crazy. They were on to something. That Christmas replies with the birth announcement of a peace creator. That the hope of peace on earth is based in the good news that the Prince of Peace was going to leave heaven and come to us. That Christmas is heaven's peace initiative. You see, Jesus clearly saw himself on a peace mission. You especially see this in the Gospel of Luke. And so a few chapters later, a lady's going to walk in at a party that Jesus is at. And she's from the street. And when I say the street, I mean that's where she worked, not where she lived. And you know what I mean. And she had no shalom. She had no communal shalom. She was an outcast. She was rejected and despised by religious people. She had no spiritual shalom. She had no walk with God. She was full of shame and guilt. And she starts to cry before Jesus and wash his feet with her tears. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In the very next chapter, another lady, she's had this bleeding disorder For 12 years. She has no physical shalom. Her body is at war with her. She has no communal shalom. She's an outcast. She's unclean. She's not allowed to even leave her house. But she reaches out for Jesus. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. One of the last things his disciples heard him say before he died was, Peace be with you. My peace I give to you. And in the Gospel of Luke, it's interesting. The very first thing that Jesus says to his disciples after his resurrection is peace be with you. See, Jesus boldly asserted that he could give the gift of peace. Now, what leader does it? It doesn't matter whether you're a capitalist country or a communist country or a dictatorship. What leader doesn't stand up and promise peace? But none of them will deliver. 
Everybody makes the promise. Nobody delivers. What makes Jesus say, I can give peace? Well, you've got to understand something, folks. The absence of peace, according to the Bible, is because of the presence of sin. See, that's why there's no spiritual peace. Our sin has separated us from God. And we're only left with guilt and shame. That's why there's no communal peace, folks. That's why we need policemen and barbed wire. Because sin has made us selfish creatures. I look out for me and you look out for you. It's why there's no physical peace. That's why someday this body is going to break down. And you're going to have to put it in a box and put it in the ground. Because the wages of sin is death. Leaders can promise peace all they want. The problem is they can't deal with the reason there's no peace. And now look at Colossians 1 with me. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything. In heaven and on earth. By means of his blood on the cross. See, you can't have the peace of God until you've made peace with God. And this is what Jesus made possible at the cross. This is why he could offer a peace that nobody else can offer. Look again now at Romans 4 and 5 with me. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. And therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. This Christmas, you can receive no greater gift than peace with God. You can receive no greater blessing you can't get it at a mall it can't come wrapped in shiny paper but there's nothing better you could receive this christmas than peace with god and jesus christ has made it possible and you can confess jesus christ you can be baptized into his death and resurrection you can make him your lord and your savior just like two people did last night you say well you sound like you're trying to convert me yes it's exactly what i'm trying to do Because there's at least 10 people in this room right now who don't have peace with God because you've never confessed Jesus Christ. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm remembering my old friend Ben Merrill, 80-something-year-old preacher, just retired, great man of God. He was on the island of Okinawa. One of the Marines that helped secure the island. Japanese officials flew into the island, signed peace papers. The problem is there were 3,000 Japanese on the other side of the island that didn't know and care. He said two weeks after peace was declared, he came closer to dying than in any two weeks during the war. And most of those Japanese soldiers gave up their life because they wouldn't accept the offer of peace. This Christmas, if you haven't, receive peace of God. But now to the rest of you, you've got to know that peace accepted must become peace extended let me tell you another story from world war ii we've all heard the stories of how often on wartime there will be a truce made at christmas eve that's a not an uncommon thing to do 
World War II on the German front. There was an American soldier, and he held in his hand a detonator. He was about to detonate some mines behind enemy lines where some German soldiers had hunkered down. But a flare went up announcing the beginning of Christmas Eve, and there was a truce that had been agreed upon. And so he put the detonator down. Not too much longer after that, he heard a voice singing in German the song Silent Night. He didn't just recognize the song, he recognized the voice. It was Johann Lieber, brilliant German tenor of Munich. The reason he recognized the voice is because the young American had studied music under him. He began to sing. Lieber recognized his voice. There was a catch in Lieber's voice. They began to sing Silent Night together. One in German, one in American. And then they began to sing other songs. For several hours that Christmas Eve, they sang carols back and forth about the birth of the Prince of Peace. And then early the next morning, another flare went up in the air. Truce was over. And the young American picked up the detonator, and with great sadness, he pushed the button. And many enemy soldiers were killed, including Johann Lieber. That's how it often is, isn't it? We take a moment at Christmas and we stop fighting so much. The volume goes down just a little bit in the house. But it doesn't last, does it? The wars and the conflicts and the divorces, they just all start up all over again. This world desperately needs the witness of a people who believe that a prince of peace has come and that he has inaugurated a new vision, a new destiny for this world. That Jesus Christ has come to wage peace. That someday this whole earth is going to be bathed in peace and it starts with us. And Christmas supplies us with motivation to be peacemakers. See, what the angels sang in heaven that night was something they wanted the whole earth to share in. Think about it. When has Jesus ever given you anything he wants you to hoard? What blessing has Jesus ever given you and then said, now you keep this to yourself and make sure nobody else gets any? But too often we settle for cold war. Instead of peace. Recently my wife and I were having an argument. It was going nowhere. So finally I said honey. I tell you what. I'll say I was wrong. If you say I was right. She said okay. So I said honey. I was wrong. She said you're right. And what I think we've learned is that the only way to live with flawed people, and by the way, there's no other kind of people. The only way to live with flawed people is to offer the gift of peace.
We are God's peace corps. We are the people announcing to the world that an earth bathed in shalom is not just some crazy pipe dream of some old fools that used to call on God. It is real and it is coming. And it starts with us. We are sent out to increase the peace. Hebrews 12 verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. Romans 12 18. Do your part to live in peace with everyone. Are you at odds with somebody right now? Somebody at work you'll avoid at the Christmas party. Somebody in the neighborhood you just drive right past and shut the garage door as quick as you can. Somebody in your extended family you are not looking forward to having lunch or supper with soon. And you know what Jesus said. Don't show up at the altar and worship God if you've got something against a brother. Go make things right. But you haven't. And I know what you're thinking. Well, why do I have to make the first move? I didn't start it. I'm not asking you to make the first move. I'm telling you, God made the first move. At Bethlehem, God started the peace process. He's asking you to make the next move. Some of you might recall in Time Magazine last year when John McCain was running for president, he was asked a question about his personal faith journey. And he told the account of the moment in his life when it began to dawn on him what Jesus had done. You know, he spent many years in a prisoner of war camp in Vietnam. He said often it was the custom in the evenings for them to tie his hands behind his back Then make him kneel down. They would put a rope around his neck and tie it to his feet so that he had to spend the whole night with his head between his knees. He said it was very painful. One night, he says, a Vietnamese prison guard came to him, did like this, and untied his ropes. He was able to spend a pain-free night. And then early in the morning before the other guards came, the man came back, retied the rope so that his act of kindness would not be discovered. About a month later, it was Christmas Day. And the prisoners of war were given an unexpected few moments outside to walk around in the company of each other. He recognized that guard. He said that man walked up to him. But didn't say a word to him and didn't look him in the eye. Just kind of stood by him. And with a sandaled foot in the sand, he drew a cross. And really for the first time in his life, McCain began to realize there's only one hope for peace on earth. We all need the gift the angels sing about, don't we? But it's a gift that you can't keep unless you give it. And so I'm asking you this Christmas, with whom do you need to give peace a chance? 
you're going to find what you're looking for under a tree. And so in a moment, we'll stand, we'll sing. I'll ask all who are ready to give their lives to Christ to come forward tonight, be baptized, and receive peace with God. But as we stand in worship, just like we did last week, we've got these little cards. And we've got these little boxes, these wrapped boxes underneath the crosses at the communion stations. And as we worship, if you know in your heart you need to make peace with somebody this Christmas, why don't you write out your confession to God? Why don't you take it to the cross and place it in the box as an act of obedience that this Christmas you will be a peacemaker. One day the whole earth will be bathed in shalom. The zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. You and I are to be ambassadors carrying the testimony that such a day is really coming. And so now, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we will not continue to let things go the way they've been. That war and conflict is not acceptable for the people of God. That cold war is not acceptable for the people of God. We realize we can't make people accept the offer of peace. But we're in total control of whether or not it's offered. And so this Christmas, we pray God, give us the courage and conviction to be ambassadors of such good news that the day of shalom is sure and certain and it begins with us. Especially now convict every heart that needs to be at peace with you. This be the day they receive the washing of the blood of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Please now stand. Let's worship together. Peace.